America's vaccine rollout is giving structural oppression vibes. With COVID-19 vaccine access denied to incarcerated people around the country. Also, Black folks' valid distrust of the system versus irresponsible fear-mongering. And Tina Turner is a whole legend. Let's discuss. It's Tea with Queen and Jay. Drink up. What up? Well, well, well. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't you again. (laughs) Me is in me or me is in everyone listening? Everyone, everyone listening. (laughs) Okay. You, you, I see all the time. Of course, of course it's you again. Of course it's me again, yeah. Of course. How you doing? I'm good. I'm well. Mm -hmm. I took some melatonin last night. I feel refreshed, even though I only got like, what did I get? Like four hours of sleep. I still feel refreshed. So that's good. Good. That's yeah. good. I liked it. It's a helpful. It it's a helpful. Yeah. It is. I wonder, is it good for me though? Like, is it good for you? I wonder. I think it just triggers a hormone you already have. Mm. So. Okay. Because I didn't do any research. I just said, you know what? I want to go to bed. I want to go to sleep. Yeah. It's just like gives you extra of that hormone to make you go to sleep because you need that you might Mm -hmm. lack it if you're not just falling asleep anyway too much of anything is always not good right 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 but like i don't think you're gonna be strung out like melatonin like i don't think (laughs) i'm not gonna jump out the window (laughs) like that woman from mad about you when she got all strung out on on marijuana what I don't remember that episode. I do remember that show. No, no, no. It's the actor. She wasn't on that. It wasn't on the show. Oh. It, was a, it was the actor. I forgot her name. But anyway, back in like the the seventies, it was a commercial about getting high. But it was marijuana that made her jump out the window. <laughs> that shit was lace. That shit was lace with acid. Like, please stop with that propaganda. It wasn't. It was. It was really. Yes, it was really just propaganda, yo. <laughs> It was really just propaganda. Welcome, Welcome to, to Tea, tea with, with Queen and Jay. We are two womanist race nerds talking shit over tea, dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism one episode at a time. I'm Queen. I'm Jay. And, and this, this is Tea with, with Queen, Queen and Jay. And if you would like to follow the conversation being had on this here podcast, podcast. you can use the hashtag Tea with QJ. We love when you use that on all the social meets. We also like if you use the hashtag pod in and that allows other people on that hashtag to find Tea with Queen and Jay. If you're not already, you should be. So it's your problem. But if you're not, you should be following us on the social meets. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Tea with QJ. We are also on Tumblr. Tumblr and Facebook. You can find us there. I be seeing y'all on the Tumblr. Tumblr be try- trying to... This week, people was on Tumblr? No, I went on recently and I noticed that people like mm-hmm. be there. You've, you've noticed before, but I'm just like, wow, people mm-hmm. are actually like here. So shout out to y'all mm-hmm. on Tumblr. We love to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So you can send us email at twithqueenandj at gmail.com. You can send us questions, comments, feedback, silly things, serious things. We love it all. So send it all. Every week we pour libations for the people, places, and things giving us black ass black joy. Queen, what are you pouring libations for this week? I'm pouring libations for a web series that I've stumbled upon the other day. Um, It's called For the Boys and it is on Slay TV's YouTube channel. We'll have the link for it in the show notes. But um, For the Boys follows the lives of three queer black best friends in their 20s navigating the intoxicating and ever-exhausting minefield of love and friendship in new york city intoxicating i know right so dramatic i love it i really like friendship (laughs) shows and friendship like in our 20s coming of age figuring it out kind of things but i prefer them queer 
Like, I noticed that I always have more fun with the queer ones. Like, I had real... I mean, don't you prefer everything that way? Let's, I do. Let's be real. I do. Okay. I really do not All give right. about... Let's get real with The it. straights and their love and their lives and shit like that. So, anytime I do find a queer situation going on, I'm kind of just, like, on it. So, this is what I'm on now. It's really, really cute. The acting is actually pretty, like, good. It's not, like... Look behind you. There is a stranger. Like, you know that. (laughs) I thought you were my friend. (laughs) Exactly. It's not like that. The accent is actually pretty cute. And I like the story. The main characters, they're all really cute. It's just a really cute show. There's only four episodes in. I think they come back mid-April. But so far, I'm in. I like it. And their episodes are about as long as a sitcom episode, which is cool. So I don't, it's not like, you know how usually web series are like 15 minutes and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. it's a little longer than that. But yeah, I like it. Nice. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. All right. So yes, for the boys is my libation. What are you pouring libations for, Jay? I'm pouring libations for outside. Ew. It's spring. I went outside for Easter weekend. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It was sunny and shit. I did things. I was outside like at like 1130. Doing I was like, daylight. I'm there. You were a yeah, day walker. You were amongst train. the day I was walker. a day walker amongst like with the sun shining at levels <laughs> I hadn't seen it shine in the longest. So that was pretty cool. So I'm pouring libations for being outside, pouring libations for having routines. Those make me feel safe yeah, and feel do. good and shit. I've been making smoothies in the morning again. And that makes me feel good. It's actually really helped my appetite. You know, I told y'all I put um flaxseed and sea moss and shit mm-hmm. in my, not shit as well, but and things in my smoothie (laughs) and it's been helping because since quarantine i've been eating consuming more sugar and like other stuff to make me feel like we're not in a pandemic Mm -hmm. and having a smoothie in the morning has helped i think to balance out some of the stuff i've been eating and make me crave less yeah things that aren't nourishing i would say to my body so they say a lot of times when you crave sugar you're probably thirsty or hungry anyway so Mm -hmm. well the smoothie has been helping that's so, good. Yeah, That's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Those are my libations. Queen, can you tell folks how they can support Tea with Queen and J podcast? Sure can. So as always, take care of yourself first, but this podcast also runs on your support. So there are two ways to donate to Tea with Queen and J. Two. You can go to our website, teawithqueenandj.com, slide down on our homepage, and there is where we have the two options. Two options. <laughs> our first option is our PayPal option, where you can donate any amount at any time. And our second option is our PayPal Patreon option where we are asking for a monthly commitment of $2 a month. $2. You can give more or less and we will appreciate that shit and give you a bonus episode every month. We also like it when you share this podcast on social media, tell a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All of that helps Tea with Queen and Jay grow. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. We read all those reviews. We appreciate all those reviews. Um, and if you have not done so already, please leave us a five-star review. And thank you in advance for doing that. If you'd like to sponsor us, if you'd like to hear your ad on Tea with Queen and Jay podcast or see it on social media, T-mail us at teawithqueenandjay at gmail.com. If you'd like to hire us to speak virtually at your school or organization about white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, dismantling white supremacy in the workplace, womanism, black feminism, podcasting, or some other shit you've heard us discuss on the podcast, or if you'd like us to do a virtual live show or consult you or your team, send us your team mail at teawithqueenandj at gmail.com. 
www.thepodcastmoney.com. We have some donation libations this week. Thank you to everybody who's supporting us on the Patreon. We have new patrons this week. Lovely B, Jordani, Nia, Kai, Taylor, Ashley, Ross, Takira, Tina. I think that's a nice white lady. Welcome back. Hey, Tina. Jordan, Kadisha, Amber, Iris up their pledge. Thank you so much, Iris. And Nishi up their pledge as well. Thank you so much, Nishi. For anybody who doesn't know, we upload a bonus episode to Patreon once a month. So definitely check out our Patreon page. There are I think, a bunch of episodes up there now yeah. for anybody who has not checked that out we put on patreon we show um there's a link to how to access those episodes but if you are having trouble if you've tried that and you're having trouble accessing the bonus content you send us a t-mail at t with queen j at gmail.com and we will figure that shit out with you and we also had tashana break us off on the paypal thank you to everybody for supporting t with queen and j podcast yes, yeah, we appreciate that you. shit thank y'all all right are you ready to get into the show let's get into the motherfucking show all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So, Jay, what kind of tea are you drinking this morning? Um, This is a coffee day. So I'm having oh. coffee this morning. I'm having, what is that shit? Cafe day. It's a New Orleans coffee. Zatarans? Okay. Zatarans! <laughs> sorry, my friend told me that that was xenophobic. Oh, <laughs> sorry. We apologize. It's not. <laughs> We're New Yorkers, all right? That's the commercial that was floating around. <laughs> Zatarans! <laughs> Sorry, we apologize to New Orleans. Wait, what's that coffee? Cafe de New Orleans. I'm just, that's what I'm searching. I know that's not what it's <laughs> called. Cafe de New Orleans. Yes. Cafe du yes. Okay. I'm drinking some decaf Cafe du It's It's cute because it has a chicory flavor. What the hell is a chicory flavor? <laughs> Okay, real talk, I don't know. But it tastes like, <laughs> it tastes cinnamony. It tastes cinnamony. Just say that's that, okay? I, no, because that's not what it is. Uh, you don't even know what that other word is that you said. All right, so, what are you drinking, though? I'm what kind of tea are you drinking? I'm drinking a chai tea latte because nice. I need the caffeine that mm-hmm. chai has. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing this morning. Nice. What are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her, they, them. And separate from my pronouns, I am not a lady. Please do not call me that. Queen, what are your pronouns? She, her. And what are you affirming for yourself on this fine day? I affirm... So I'm going to affirm that I will affirm things outside of the realm of my reality. Mm-hmm. I realized that I have been affirming like wh- how I want my living space to be and what I want it to look like based on what I imagine I can afford. Mm-hmm. And I that's not what I want. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So I want to yes. start affirming things outside of the realm of my reality. So I want a living space with large windows, lots of space, lots of storage space, lots of sunlight. I want a private outside space yep. that's safe for me and my dog to chill mm-hmm. and get sunlight. And little Henny Penny can walk around without having to see other dogs because she don't really like all that. All right. Yeah. So that's what I really want. I want big ass windows. I want sunlight. I want to be able to fucking lay down in some grass in my own private area. All right. What else? Imported grass, right? Not New York grass. (laughs) 
Whatever is but the private grass in my own private corner that don't require a whole lot yeah. of private maintenance. Okay? Yeah. That kind of grass. That's what I want. Imported grass. Grass beds. Yeah, but I realized that I realized that in therapy that I wasn't no, actually I realized it outside of therapy because I am smart and then I told my therapist in therapy. But yeah, I realized that while I like believe in energy and I believe that I can affirm things, sometimes I'm only affirming things that I know I feel are like attainable mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm want to make sure that i'm reaching beyond that and not limiting myself to like the boxes that i have accepted even though maybe the boxes are a little bit wider than my reality there i could go bigger i'm saying yeah because if they are bigger and wider you're gonna land Mm -hmm. somewhere close Mm -hmm. which is better than just sitting in whatever you're currently like and so that works that fucking works i like that facts facts what are you affirming for yourself i'm affirming that my body loves me unconditionally even when i don't treat it kindly because you know sometimes Mm. we like are mean to our bodies and um i'm not someone who's not not mean to my body so i'm like my body still loves me, still does the things it's supposed to do, still functions the way it, it perceives as normal or whatever the fuck. So it loves me unconditionally, regardless of how I treat it, what I say about it, what I feel about it. And that's fucking dope. So yeah, I'm just affirming that my body continues to love me unconditionally. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Cheers to your body. Thank you. So we watched the Tina Turner documentary called Tina on HBO Max. Yep. If you do not know who Tina Turner is, she's a badass black rock star, yeah. I would say, mm-hmm. right? Who spanned, when did that shit start? In the 50s? I think 60s? the 60s. She spanned mad decades. Like she was in our parents' childhoods <laughs> and our childhoods. Yeah. Which is not common. From the 60s through, I don't know when her last song was. The rest but- of our life. She was still even touring and stuff. <laughs> like, right. even after yes. her last album, she was still on the road and shit. Facts, 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 facts. So it was a documentary. I think most people in our like older millennials i guess knew of tina turner via what's love got to do with it mm-hmm. movie or biopic or biopic however you say that <laughs> starring angela bassett <laughs> so yeah but this documentary covered a lot more i think a lot of people in our age group kind of just assumed that we knew everything that there was really to, to know, know about her, her based yeah. on this one biopic with not good wigs that hair was questionable <laughs> now that we're looking back we which is like, why didn't you just get Tina Turner's hairstylist or something? I don't know. Tina's wigs weren't great either, so I don't know. They weren't great. What you were expecting? They weren't. No, they weren't great. They weren't great. They but were the ones not. in the movie, the ones in the movie, they look similar to the one in the doc because those wigs I don't, were not. I don't think so. Those wigs were not great. Weren't great. I just think the ones in the in the biopic were worse. I just think they were. They were not good. But anyway, so that documentary is on HBO and it spanned her life and it showed that I think it showed a lot of us who were not as familiar with her and her work as we thought that like she was a whole fucking person who had a lot going on outside of what we took away from that film. We were fucking children or watching it fucking at home on fucking VHS or whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. I didn't realize how much I didn't attach the fact that she was like a dancer, like Mm. serving the moves back when they were serving boring moves. Like back in the 60s, it was my girl. Like they were doing all of that Mm -hmm. boring choreography. Jay can see me, y'all can't, Mm -hmm. but it was like really like robotic (laughs) and like, for lack of a better word, kind of more respectable and more 
mm-hmm. clean and pristine. But you know, Motown really wanted to push out like the better black image or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then here was Tina like bumping and grinding all over the stage, doing pretend fellatio to microphones and wearing the hottest outfits. But probably for that time, like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It is 1960. <laughs> Calm yes. down. So I forgot how much of a, not forgot, I didn't really contextualize how much of a sex symbol Tina probably was in her time. And also like mm. a all around performer, like not just mm-hmm. a voice. Now I understand why Beyonce says all the time, I want it to be like Tina. I want to perform like Tina, you know, like whatever, because mm-hmm. a Tina show looked like, I can Tina review show, looked like a fucking show. Like it wasn't just mm-hmm. like one lead singer in the front, my background singer's back there and we do these arm movements and turn left and right. And that's it. Like it was like, we're running mm-hmm. across this fucking stage. I'm shaking my ass. Ass, I'm shaking my hair. Like this big, a big show, a big performance. I think I just did not connect those pieces from right. watching the movie, from seeing her be a performer, um, like in the 80s. I, I did not realize mm-hmm. that like that's just who she was <laughs> mm-hmm. from jump or whatever. Right. So that that perspective jumped out to me more. Like, yo, this this woman was like revolutionary as far as like mm-hmm. a woman in performance, a black woman in performance. There's some like unapologeticness for her to like present in that way mm-hmm. fellatio like fake fellatio to a mic in the 60s seems like a bit much mm-hmm. i enjoy it but i can see that being like a mm-hmm. bit much for that time or whatever and it makes me think of my mom because my mother wasn't right. really into tina and i think that's probably why because my mom is like a little more respectable in that sense more of an r&b person more so than rock because that was mm-hmm. like that was rock and roll and shit right. like that so i never really considered that this black person is like doing a different genre. Like you just black mm-hmm. people back in those days, from in my mind, they're all doing R and B, which is not true. That's not what was happening. Right. <laughs> it's also the way that history is told to us, the way that it's packaged to yeah. us, the way that our stories are told, and what projects get like fucking greenlit and shit. So like the narrative that rock belongs to white folks has been like one that's kind of been like pushed to us yeah even if you think about the movie there was some discussion i feel like and i haven't watched that movie in many years but there was some discussion about them as rock and roll icons ike and tina and tina later on being like a rock star whatever but it ends up being so muted by the abuse yes that took place you know and so like a lot of us who watch that film a lot of us who are aware of tina turner's history via that film i think what ended up being stuck with us most culturally was unfortunately tina turner's experience as a survivor of domestic abuse yeah you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i was watching a documentary and like there's this whole period i forget when she left ike but like late 70s when she is or mid 70s whenever the fuck she's performing in vegas and like on yeah. her own mm-hmm. performing hustling like doing her own thing to make sure that she can sustain her bills and take care of her family and shit like that before she becomes the um solo rock star act like in the 80s yeah i'm like where was all of this in the film like where was like this information this this whole period of this person who had to essentially reinvent themselves yeah as a solo act Mm -hmm. and you know sustain themselves like herself on her own you know what i'm saying like i just feel like that period of like she's out there 
by herself, like doing her own thing after being seen as this couple, as this pair. Yeah. For such a long time. I just felt like that was underplayed yeah, or downplayed was. in the film. Because that's a lot for a woman to be doing like by herself at that time. Mm-hmm. She's just trying to book gigs and make sure that she can afford to take care of herself. Yeah. And performing Vegas. Especially for someone who didn't, according to the doc, what I got, didn't take care of any of the business when it came to Ike and Tina Review. So mm-hmm. like Ike took care of all that stuff. Like So for her to do that on her own, there was a lot that she had to like figure out, learn right. like for the first time, even though she was already mm-hmm. a recording artist for how many years you mm-hmm. know i learned how to cover songs and work without a record this is what i learned that's what i left him with knowing that i could always work and that's bottom line for me now if i don't have a record i can always get work because i'm a performer performer first record artist now singer second yeah they should have played that up a little more i didn't realize i know now because of the documentary how difficult it was for her to reinvent herself in that way Mm -hmm. and why she kind of had to still bring up ike when it came to like why they're not ike and tina anymore like i didn't in my mind Mm -hmm. their divorce was public because i live in a time where everyone knows stars business right so in my mind their divorce was public so everyone knows their divorce but that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case and when she tried to re-enter the music business she had to continuously like say what happened and you know stuff like that and then that's how the story Mm -hmm. kind of came out i always assumed it was and all of this happened in the divorce and it was a public ass divorce mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking like how our media is now but why would that be happening I guess in the what was that 70s 70s 80s yeah mm-hmm. but I'm thinking like you know I don't know like the shade room was <laughs> letting me know <laughs> so I had to realize that the divorce and all of that was like pretty private and that she kind of just mm-hmm. went on with her life unbeknownst to the public about all you know all this other stuff and it didn't come out until she tried to reemerge, I just always thought it was mm-hmm. just like divorce and everybody knew her business you know right so yeah one thing that stuck out to me and kind of like made me feel emotional was and I think I'm starting to feel this way when I see in any interview what a woman is talking about not even talking about where she has experienced this type of abuse from a partner and then mm-hmm. let's say they break up and now they're telling their story and stuff like that. But the way that people always ask them why they didn't like leave and it's like they did leave. That's why they are mm-hmm. telling their story and able to do the interview. And it's it's like this person did leave. And I think that because for myself years ago, I remember thinking that leaving was something simple. And I think that people mm-hmm. still think that that's something simple, not knowing that. If that person left and survived, that was probably like the ninth attempt, you know, and it's it's just, I wish people understood how kind of like silly and like redundant that question is. And it kind of like victim blames Mm -hmm. because it's like, why didn't you leave? And it's like, I I did. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. usually it takes a lot to leave. So like when I kept seeing her in interviews and people would bring up Ike and it's like, that was like a hundred years ago and you're bringing Mm -hmm. up this person or um, the questions of why didn't I leave? And it's like, I divorced that motherfucker years ago. Like, what the, What do you mean? Right. And, she, you know, she would answer the questions because she seemed to be like a good sport as far as media is concerned. But like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. Leave her alone. Yeah. Also, like, it seemed like she had to be a good sport. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As a woman in entertainment and a black woman in entertainment, like you didn't want to be perceived as an angry black woman because already what are you even doing here? Especially what are you even doing here by yourself? Yes. You know, but like it seemed like someone in her position didn't have much of a choice socially, but to just answer those questions yeah. as politely as possible and hope that it all goes away. But it was upsetting to look back at like she's here to promote a movie. Mel Gibson sitting there, whatever, and you asking about fucking Ike and his fucking arrest, arrest or crack. crack. Like <laughs> she has it banged with Ike for years. years at this point. What yeah. why why are we talking about this in front of fucking Mel Gibson? <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> like, what does this have to do with the movie? What is this? What about the movie? Why would I have anything to say about my ex possibly smoking crack? That's not my business. I don't know that person anymore. Yeah, that was that was pretty wild style. Also, it made me think about like the way to your point about how media is different, like the way that it's easier, even though we still see it as an uphill battle because it is. But it's easier for a lot of our entertainers now to spin like their story. Yeah of tragedy or whatever the fuck and kind of talk directly to their fans and tell them like what they want them to know or yeah. what the vibe is or where they what they're working on now or whatever the fuck is the turnaround on news is so much quicker, quicker. and you have so much so much more direct access to whoever fucking bangs with you whoever your audience is Mm -hmm. that people still ask ridiculous questions but it's easier to connect with people who are actually supportive of you and want to move past whatever it is that you are like trying to move past you know yeah it also made me think about how we consume that movie and like kind of made her life a joke and a butt of a lot Mm. of jokes and we've all kind of done it well not all of us but a lot of people that i know have done it and then you see how like her abuse became taglines and songs or like ways for people to like i guess looked at as like love like i'm thinking of the alicia Keys song and she's like it was romanticized yeah yes it was romanticized in ways that's just like what mm-hmm. the fuck yeah it was it was romanticized like like abuse and struggle and like the happy and the sad or whatever like and the sad being torture yes that being her torture in that relationship that that's like a part of love and honestly when i think back to some of the scenes in that movie i feel like it was a little bit romanticized in the film itself mm-hmm. and there's a period in the film or a scene in the film where they have a fight before it's time for her to get on stage and when she gets on stage it's like she's still a little bit rattled it yeah. seems mm-hmm. and he like whispers in her ear and then she uh, it's like this moment of silence he whispers in her ear and then she performs but it's it's set like it's this build up that made the performance better yeah. kind of for mm-hmm. lack of a better word I don't know if you know other people would describe the scene that way but it's kind of like she like the pain is what like fuel right help to fuel yeah. how that they're how dynamic and how how brilliant their work was and shit like that mm-hmm. and he is painted like he's not really painted as a joke in the film until there's a scene in the movie where where ike shows up after tina had been gone for a long time ike shows up at like one of her shows or some shit and he has a gun like if he's gonna kill her or some yeah. shit i don't know you know i was gonna say i don't know like how real that is or whatever but the movie is based on a book so maybe it was in the book maybe mm-hmm. that's like real life or yeah. whatever and as abusive as he was it's 
it would seem on trend. Right. Yeah. That's not far fetched. Like that could easily happen for sure. But yeah. So there's that scene in the movie. That's really the only. And she's like, what are you going to do? Shoot me or whatever. That's the only scene where it's like he looks to be like a joke kind of Mm -hmm. at this point. But throughout the movie, he's kind of painted as this cool. Yeah. You know, this cool dude with an anger problem. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Which anger problems are like, you know, especially at that time, not considered a big deal. Like some dudes have anger problems. Mm -hmm. Like he went through a lot. Like, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, it's kind of, I would say, it's kind of romanticized in the film. And that combined with, like, the time and all of that, it just for a lot of people made it and you know the culture of us not taking abuse seriously or women seriously or Mm -hmm. whatever just made it like yeah this is a type of love that can exist or that exists for a lot of people yeah or that our parents experienced that you know oh it was just like that back in the day like no the abuse was still abuse not cool not okay Mm -hmm. i think it was definitely romanticized and it is painful now like when we think about the way that it was used in song by and alicia keys or by a beyonce, beyonce or whatever i think alicia keys song was we can fight like i can tina like that's no we can't that's not yeah alicia that that's be not on your we, list of potential relationship uh options or whatever yeah And also presenting it like a fight. Like, we can fight like I, I can tell yes. as if she was not a Abuse, battered and abused, abused person. And it wasn't, this yeah. wasn't like, oh, we fight sometimes. Like, we both fight sometimes or whatever, which is also not cool. But yeah. that's not what that was. No. And then thinking about the way that Beyonce has said to revere Tina Turner and still as a grown ass person in her 30s, put in a song, Eat, we, the, what, what eat is, the Cake anime. Right. Yeah. That's so that's from a scene in the film that is one of abuse. Yes. He's like clearly and played, abusing her in that scene. Right. Right. Yeah. Her space, you know, disrespecting her agency, like, and it's played for laughs. And so that film exists, but the way that people have leveraged it and used it for humor. It's mm-hmm. just like, I don't know, it's just, it's just been really disrespectful of Tina's experience as a human, as a person. And and it's interesting to me, Beyonce being the level of star that she is, yes. celebrity that she is yes. or whatever, and like knowing that people don't always see you as human. It's interesting that in that moment, she was kind of doing a similar thing to Tina and not really acknowledging the humanity of this person yeah. that she has been said Same, to have yeah. all of this reverence for mm-hmm, yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's interesting how we all kind of participate in dehumanizing yeah one another or can participate in the dehumanizing of one another yeah because i'll be honest like the movie didn't become like a ha 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 joke for me but mm-hmm. i could laugh at some of the jokes that came out of it from like peers and shit mm-hmm. like that and it wasn't until that beyonce line i never liked that alicia key song so i didn't even like right. dwell on the ike and tina part because the whole song mm-hmm. to me was trash but when the beyonce song came came out and it was like eat the cake anime that's when it like kind of clicked like wait what the fuck are we doing (laughs) like what the fuck are we doing Mm -hmm. at these this big age because at that time i'm talking about people who watch tina turner movie as like children you know stuff like that so at that time all of us are adults now and it was just like wait a minute Mm -hmm. 
Like maybe at 15 when you don't know any better. But like we are big ass people mm-hmm. writing us in songs, shaking our ass. You know, it was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. We we need to get this shit together, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I I don't know. I, I know that I was I was and still am disappointed with that with Beyonce because she says she loves Tina Turner so much and that's mm-hmm. who she wants to be and that's her idol and you know, whatever, whatever. And to still allow that to slide to me mm-hmm. does say a lot about the culture of bi- violence between partners, abuse between partners mm-hmm. that we still don't take seriously. Like you said, that we yeah. still don't acknowledge as a real thing that we still kind of fought the person who was abused for. Cause like, even with that line, Tina Turner is not the one who was the abuser, but she seems mm-hmm. to be the one we're always talking about when it comes to that situation, when it comes to that dynamic. And it's like, they did not do anything. Mm-hmm. But it's always like a, why didn't you leave? Eat the cake anime joke. I can Tina as like this great, amazing time. And that was like the worst time of her life for her. Like she has said mm-hmm. that. She does not like going back there. She does not like reliving it. But even in pop culture, outside of interviews, even in pop culture, we keep bringing that shit up and making it a thing. Mm -hmm. And like, shit, I haven't been married to that person in like, at that time, 30 some years. (laughs) Right, right. I also think that a lot of us separated the film from the person. So I think a lot of us saw, oh, that's Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett. Like, that's what happened in that movie, as opposed to like, this is a telling of somebody's life. Life, the torture that somebody yeah. actually experienced in their in their real life yeah true for sure another thing that i really enjoyed because the movie really helped me with the timeline of i mean not the movie the documentary really helped me more so with the timeline of her life for me in mm-hmm. the movie it just seemed like she was the same age the whole movie <laughs> Right. Because it was played by one person and they didn't really do much mm-hmm. to differentiate age. But that's when I realized, wow, this person has been in the business for like two generations, three generations, you know, one. And then that her reemergence, because in the movie they don't specify or like acknowledge that she's like in her late 30s, early 40s when all of this stuff is happening, when she's becoming Tina, mm-hmm. the solo artist. That I didn't realize this woman became like the bigger rock star on her own in her 40s. And right. I think it's important that we tell there's always women who are not young, quotations, just, you know. Mm -hmm. who are doing amazing things and they're not talked up enough. They're not talked about enough, especially if you're a black woman. It's just not talked about enough. And I feel that that's another opportunity that they missed in a movie that I think would have been great to know in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it does make sense. But watching the documentary, I'm like, wow, this woman was like in her 40s when she like reemerged as the Tina Mm -hmm. that we know more so now, the rock star. Now she's on tour going around the world more so than she was when she was with the I Continue Review. Now she's mm-hmm. like this big world known name, not really just like in a pocket of black music in America. Mm-hmm. She's like this worldwide fucking thing. And that happened for her in her 40s. And it doesn't to me, it doesn't make sense for your life to just pop at 20. Like you're not even like, right. your brain isn't even fully formed. You're not mm-hmm. even like, I would much rather that stuff people happen later in life when they actually know who they are more so. Mm-hmm. So I would love to have and hear more stories like that, especially in the entertainment business because they want you to be an infant if you're a woman. Right. <laughs> 
They want right, you to be right, a fucking right. infant. So I, mm-hmm. I do, I do like stories when it's like the bad situation is behind them, and when they're looking forward, it's just been great as they've gone forward. And I'm not mm-hmm. teaching her, and I don't know how she feels about her whole life. She does emphasize like I didn't have a good life, I didn't have a happy life. So I don't mm-hmm. want to romanticize her life if she doesn't even feel that way about it. But mm-hmm. she looked forward, and what was forward was like something dynamic and things that she actually wanted and things that actually. Mm-hmm were more towards her happiness and i just like to see like those kind of like stories um i don't want to say triumphant because like she does emphasize that her life wasn't like this happy life you know so i don't want to just be like yes it was girl but like Mm. i guess i like to see stories like that when people get to the other side of the pain and there's less pain on the other side of that or appears to be less pain on the other side of that Mm -hmm. and then also like i said because of her age she's like still was touring in her 60s like got a las vegas residency like all of this amazing shit that for some reason in the entertainment business, women are not allowed mm-hmm. to like take up space in that way when they are over 28. <laughs> right. Facts. So yeah, I did, I did facts, really, facts. really, really like that they kind of emphasized and were like, this person was this age. Cause I didn't get that from the movie. So I do like that in the mm-hmm. documentary. It was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bad bitch, 40s, 50s, 60s, <laughs> 70s, you know, 70s, like, yeah, 70s. Yeah. I yeah. think somebody at the record company that she was signed to as an older person when she was on her own and trying to, like, be a for real rock star would be acknowledged as a for real rock star yeah there's a an executive quoted as saying you signed that old nigger douchebag because they were they were gonna drop her from the label she had like just been signed and they were gonna drop her or whatever mm-hmm. and so another executive had to like fight for her to be there or whatever but it's interesting because that story is told and like no context is given except for the fact that she was an older black woman older in terms of like the entertainment in- industry yeah but an older black woman kind of restarting her recording career. And it just feels like sometimes that's all that it boils down to is that somebody thinks that you're an old nigga douchebag yeah. and that you are undeserving or should not be here simply for that. Yep. And it could have also been because like why why what what made her a douchebag except for the fact that she was no longer partnered to her abuser? Like what mm-hmm. what like there's no context given for why someone would say these things about tina turner you know what i'm saying yeah especially us knowing her life to this extent i feel like you don't need context for a black woman to call her a douchebag so that's not what i'm saying but i just want to say that really quickly Mm -hmm. but like it's not like she is a part of those group of entertaining women who were like what they call divas or who were like, right. dem- you don't need any of that to be as a black woman, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. it wasn't even mm-hmm. that that was the type of entertainer she was before. So like, so all she mm-hmm. had to do was to be a black woman and be her age to be a douchebag. Like, yeah. 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 So I thought that was really fucking bizarre. Oh, nigga douchebag. Not bizarre, like shocking, but like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. How did that enter the chat? Nigga douchebag. Like, right. The executive realized that she had been dropped. She's one of the artists who had been dropped from the label. And he was like, yo, what the fuck? And this was the response from the other white executive or the more senior mm-hmm. 
white executive, the one in her corner kind of fought to keep her mm-hmm. on the label mm-hmm. or whatever. And then from there, that's when she had like all of her success in the 80s and shit like that. But that was freaking weird. You know what's ridiculous? What? Behind every black woman, there's an old white man calling them an old nigger douchebag. Like, right <laughs> like every 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 successful quotation black woman yeah that would be cute if that wasn't a thing you know <laughs> what i'm saying that would be cute if that wasn't a thing yo i remember going to a, a hr meeting it was supposed to be an hr like touch base with somebody like at a job that i had just kind of in a role that i had just kind of started back when i was like working at places mm-hmm. and in the meeting i could tell before i got here somebody was calling me an old nigga douchebag like that was the energy the vibe mm. was you you hit me up because you wanted to like do a touch base and how was everything going or whatever but in the conversation it's clear that no you wanted to tell me off for being an old nigga douchebag and i still don't know why what to this day i don't know what Doesn't i was matter. doing besides being an old nigga Doesn't douchebag. matter you're an old nigga yeah. douchebag. Yeah. That would that would be cute if that wasn't a thing. You're not even old <laughs> or a douchebag. Right. Or a nigger. Right. No. But, but ER. Was, not was, any of those things. Of course. But. Of course. Any of it. Any of it. But yeah. Those were the vibes. Those were the vibes. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was we already know that music was segregated. Yeah. But it's kind of the way that it's talked about throughout history is as if this, it's this like de facto thing that kind of just happened. Like it just happened because, you know, black people only wanted to hear a certain kind of music. It just happened because white folks only wanted to hear a certain kind of music when it was actually dictated by Jim Crow was actually dictated by the way that segregation took place in the u.s Mm -hmm. and how that translated into like what was happening on the radio and who was allowed to be played where and shit like that so i think there's a moment where there's a song that tina does river deep mountain high at the time which is a bop do well in the u.s Mm -hmm. it's a fucking bop yo Download that shit. River Deep Mountain High. It's fucking dope. But it didn't do well at the time. They're saying that no one wanted to hear it. But basically it was in the US. And Ike explains this in so many words without calling racism out per Mm -hmm. se or whatever. But overseas... If you do a, at the time is what he was saying, if you do a song that is rock, if you do a song that is R&B or whatever, they play it on that station. They put it in that category regardless of the race of the artist or whatever the fuck. And whoever wants to listen to that type of music enjoys that type of music. In the U.S., it's based on black music, white music or whatever at the time. Yeah. So you have this black artist singing in this style that is not attributed or associated with black folks in the U.S. And they there's no place to put it racially there's no place to put it because nobody wants to hear a black woman singing this way on a white station and nobody wants to hear this kind of music per se on a black station and so it 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 sounded like it wasn't a matter of people heard it in the u.s and didn't like it it was more a matter of we're not gonna play it they didn't even really hear it because racially where is there to put this music that does not fit into the boxes of segregation for us so i thought that that was an interesting breakdown 
And in the conversation of like, it's not just that music is segregated because people don't want to hear different brands, different kinds of music. It was segregated because of motherfucking segregation. It was segregated and white supremacy. at the top. It was not like they put it right. into the world yes. and then the world just happened to mm-hmm. only, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all programming. Yeah, so I thought, it's all the all man. It. It's all the man. All of it. So definitely check out the Tina Turner documentary. It's on HBO Max. It was good to see a black woman's story being told and kind of see someone who has been like alive all this time and like doing it all this time Mm -hmm. and this story throughout history and kind of to clear up a lot of, I think, misinformation. Yeah. And be able to see like what I'm going to use the word ending, but it's not an ending, but some kind of like happy ending. Like she's in fucking Switzerland living what appears to be her best life she's like found love and like she's doing well and shit so i like that yeah i do too all right so do you want to take a little break now yes let's take a break when we come back we are going to talk about forgotten populations in the covid vaccine and folks that some states are not considering or talking about we're going to pay a black woman and then we're going to get into some more covid vaccine shit and how people are acting about it on social yeah let's take our break <laughs> money do you know what this year is what every year is all about yeah but like giving black women year. your money yes give okay. black women your money hashtag pay black women okay, yo okay okay so, so how do they give black women their money well they can start by giving us their money oh yes yes we do this dope ass women is race nerd podcast every motherfucking every week, week. Sometimes and, twice um, a week. Yeah, yo. <laughs> and we could use your loving motherfucking donations. Um, we definitely can. Absolutely. So how can you do that? You can go to our website. Yo. TeamWithQueenAndJay.com. Hit that donate tab. Mm-hmm. We have two options there. So two. Can, two. You become a patron or you can just donate through PayPal. Yo. You choose. We mm-hmm. give you a choice. That's right. On how you give us money. That's right. If you want to donate via Patreon, we're asking all of our listeners to break us off $2 a month. That's $24 a year. And if everybody who listens does that shit, we will have everything that we need to do everything we want to do for this podcast. Everything. And if you love us so much that you want to break us off a one-time donation, a multiple-time donation, or if you don't like the the once-a-month kind of system, you can go to our PayPal and give us any amount of money. We will take that shit. We will love that shit. We will appreciate that we shit. We will use that shit. That's right. So once again, teawithqueenandj.com. Hit the donate tab and choose your donation method of choice. Oh my God, we're going to get money. Again! <laughs> All the time. Yes. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. And we're black. All the time. Yes. Let's pay a black woman. Yes. Give me your fucking money! Our Pay Black Woman segment is a segment where we highlight Black or Indigenous women, Black or Indigenous non-binary persons. If you are a Black or Indigenous person impacted by misogynoir, running a business, leading an initiative, or just somebody who needs to make ends meet or go on vacation or fucking buy a new couch or whatever, please send your submissions to teawithqueenandj at gmail.com. 
All right, so this week's submission is actually my older sister, so I feel all tingly inside and shit like that. Aww. Yeah, so I'm going to read their letter. Hello, Queen and Jay. Love y'all. I'm an avid listener. Love the show. I'm asking for donations to pay off my tuition. I'm currently an online graduate college student who needs to complete one class to graduate. Backstory is I have to take this class to bring up my GPA, so financial aid isn't an option. Plus, I already have a hefty student loan balance. A sad face. That's a sad face or like a unabused face? I don't like know. Like a yikes face. A sweaty yikes face. Like <laughs> I'm sweating at how much I have to pay at this student loan balance. <laughs> I'm an aspiring mental health therapist on a journey of licensure and private practice, promoting understanding, implementing, and establishing the importance of mental health awareness and acceptance in the Black community is my plight. Then she know she has the emojis, the red, black, and green emojis that we use. And our logo. Any amount will help. The class cost $2,300, and they gave us their cash app, which is dollar sign Nubian Queen Ra, and new is spelled N-E-W-B-I-A-N-Q-U-E-E. N R A. The PayPal is at Nubian Queen as well, spelled the same. N E W B I A N Q U E E N. And then Venmo is N E W B I A N Q U E E N underscore Ra R A. So yeah, give my sister some money so she can take her class and therapize and all of that good shit. Pay this black woman. It would make me feel really good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So we'll have all of Rashida's information in the show notes. All right. Thank you for that. Let's get into a news that's not news story. I guess even though we were free, we were still slaves in the mind. Message. News that's not news is the segment where we highlight news stories that probably aren't highlighted by the mainstream, or we give a woman's race nerd perspective on a story that you may not have thought of. So we highlight it here in that way. That is our news that is not news segment. What are we doing this week, Jay? This week, I want to talk about COVID and incarcerated folks. So in New York, a judge rules that New York state prisons must offer COVID vaccines to all of its incarcerated people immediately. All right, that's good. It's good, except it kind of highlights the fact that they were not included in the plan in the first place. Yeah. So the incarcerated had not been offered the vaccine along the same eligibility lines as other New York state residents. So in New York, as in a lot of states, there was a rollout. So there are different phases to the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. In New York, they started with folks who had comorbidities. If you were over 65, Mm -hmm. you were eligible and then kind of opened it up gradually to essential workers and other people who they felt like should have access to the vaccine. None of that rollout included incarcerated people. So if you were incarcerated in New York State and you fit those qualifications, you still were not eligible for the vaccine Mm -hmm. because nobody was thinking about you. So by the end of January, almost none of New York State's 50,000 incarcerated people in prisons and jails had been included in the vaccine rollout. That includes, again, like I said before, those over 65 and with pre-existing health conditions that made others in New York State eligible. Mm -hmm. According to the New York Times, incarcerated people are four times as likely to be infected and twice as likely to die from the virus compared with the general population. They often live in congested units and eat in crowded facilities where social distancing is nearly impossible. 
people. So at least 27 states had a plan for incarcerated populations to receive the vaccine, while big-ass New York State was among those states who seemed to have no plan for the incarcerated. Mm. The CDC had recommended that incarcerated folks be offered the vaccine at the same time as workers at these facilities. However, for those states who had a plan, it seemed like either the workers were prioritized, so workers were getting the vaccine first with inmates to receive the vaccine later on down the line at some point. Or the plan was for workers to get the vaccine and still no plan in place for incarcerated people to get it. So that's that's been kind of the theme around the country. There have been a few states that have done it according to CDC guidelines. But the theme has been to consider incarcerated folks last. The fuck? The Times goes on to say what we know that incarcerated people also lack the political power and societal favor of other vulnerable groups, which is a dynamic that has pinned state officials between the ethical responsibility for the health of people in state custody and potential public backlash. So they are allegedly balancing their responsibility to keep people alive in the system against public backlash, which has been why do we care about these people? They committed crimes. Why should we care about them being alive? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it kind of reminds us that under white supremacist patriarchal capitalism, there is this emphasis placed on people getting to decide who is human, who is worthy of humanity based on this arbitrary value system that says that certain kinds of people, certain kinds of people, which are usually white folks and folks in closest proximity to a certain kind of able-bodied cisgendered whiteness are most valuable, are most worthy of care and attention. And we know that our prison systems are disproportionately full of black and brown folks and people who are otherwise marginalized. Mm -hmm. Incarcerated people in other populations deemed less than valuable are often given a de facto death sentence. So you could be in prison for whatever it is that you're in there for. If the sentence that the state has given you is, okay, well, you have to serve three years, right? So you have to serve three years and you get out. When it comes to COVID and other shit, because incarcerated populations are so disregarded, you could be in there now for a death sentence. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When... According to whatever guidelines and whatever carceral shit the state has decided, this is how we're going to fucking enact our prison system or this is how we're going to do fucking law and order or whatever. According to that system, if you're given three years, you should be able to come out alive at the end of that shit. And the state should not be able to decide that you are less valuable and you're not worthy of protection when we're dealing with a fucking global pandemic. That's the part that really bothers me because it's like, Mm -hmm. of course, that's also an assertion of capitalism because incarcerated populations are a huge surplus and you can just like Mm -hmm. they can actually die and we can put other people in these places but no problem no one's going to care no one's going to ask questions people will but not in large numbers they're going to like fucking try to do things to reverse that because these people are throwaway people anyway because they're in prison Mm -hmm. they're forgotten they are an abscess (laughs) to society and all of this shit so if they do die it does not matter to the bottom line because we could just fill these prisons up with other motherfuckers because we have Mm -hmm. a system that can just keep the revolving door of this shit going. So it is like hugely unfortunate that on top of the marginalization of them um, because of their race and things like that, it's also a class marginalization because it's like these people Mm -hmm. don't matter. They are a subplus population 
that can mm-hmm. die and it will not matter mm-hmm. as far as the bottom line is concerned, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In New York state prisons, when COVID first started happening in March, they started to release folks who had, you know, lower level crimes and yes. shit like that. And so they got the prison population down to like some of its lowest levels in years. Mm-hmm. And now currently it is higher than it was even before the start of COVID. So they reduced it. And then there's been no enforced plan to keep population levels low within the prison system. So they've just gone back up to higher rates than they were before the start of wow. the COVID pandemic. Wow. Because mm-hmm. it's a surplus. The pandemic has only been happening for a year and you are able to reduce Mm -hmm. the number and get right back to that within one year just shows how much these people are just you know we already know that they're pipelined but just Mm -hmm. it's it's only been a year and you're able to like surpass the number that you had previously during a pandemic Mm -hmm. pretty gross yeah so around the country while 27 states have had plans for rolling out the vaccine to incarcerated folks other states have not. And so there has been conversation about who is deserving, who should we prioritize. And while health officials have said, like, because people living within the prison system are in such close proximity and are unable to socially distance, unable to make the choices that a lot of us have made in order to separate ourselves and stay healthy, stay alive, they should be prioritized. They should be given the vaccine but lawmakers around the country have basically said shit to the point of like well they don't deserve the vaccine and find that they don't deserve to live there are some states that prioritize vaccinating incarcerated people but then they got like complaints from the people and critics and stuff like that so one is colorado so in colorado state prisoners were initially granted priority before some other vulnerable groups the plan devised by a panel of health experts was discarded by governor jared polis a democrat amid complaints from critics polis which is the governor was quoted saying that there's no way it's going to go to prisoners before it goes to people who haven't committed any crime so that speaks to what jay was talking about how people just these are throwaway people they don't deserve a vaccine because they committed a crime which is also faulty because crime is pretty arbitrary and Mm -hmm. most people plead out most people aren't actually like guilty of the crime or guilty of the degree of the crime that they have pled to and shit like that. So that doesn't mm-hmm. even equate. To just decide that, oh, somebody doesn't deserve a vaccine because it doesn't matter whether or not they live or die. That's like, according to the rules of the state, right? That these fucking governors claim to rep, like, yeah, they were not sentenced to death. The so sentence like, for doing? robbery is not death. Right. You know, like a lot of the crimes that people are in prison for, are not death penalty crimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) That's why they mm -hmm. are living in prison, but yet you are okay with them dying. Another state we're going to talk about is Kansas. So Governor Laura Kelly's decision to prioritize prisoners drew sharp criticism. In February, the Kansas Senate passed a non-binding resolution demanding that the governor revise her vaccination plan. She was another governor who were prioritizing prisoners. Richard Hilberband, a chairman of the state's public health and welfare committee, said it had been unconsolable for Miss Kelly to, 
and I quote, this is an exact quote from Richard Hillerbin, put incarcerated individuals ahead of law-abiding citizens. How do you explain to a law-abiding cancer survivor that they must continue to avoid family and stay locked in their homes while violent sex offenders and murderers receive the limited number of vaccines available. So that's an exact quote, and that speaks to what we were, we've been talking about. This, like, ranking system of humanity. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There is a doctor, Dr. Mayer, an associate professor at Yale School of Medicine, who is for the vaccination of incarcerated people and does prioritize it, but is noticing, um, this is a quote from them about what they're noticing when they release this information or give this advice to prioritize vaccinated incarcerated people. Dr. Jamie Myers says, people are unwilling to say we should vaccinate people who are incarcerated, who may have done something bad before us. Us meaning the people who are not incarcerated. It's like, how dare they? But that's not the question here. It's not what we value or who we value. This is about who is at risk of disease. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's just it. Like these very arbitrary reasoning for why incarcerated folks should not receive a vaccine makes no sense. The bottom line is we are trying to stop a pandemic from continuing to spread, from continuing Mm -hmm. to infect people who are probably may have long-term conditions because of this, and from possible death. Like if we are really trying to slow the spread of covid that means everybody that does not mean Mm -hmm. the special people it does not mean and if and if the state is doing a rollout based on priority based on the cdc based on what dr jamie myers said they are high on that list because they cannot even adhere to Mm -hmm. the distancing to the degree that we're able to do they're not able to do that so they are high on that list they are priority right right. in mid-january 500 of the high risk individuals at Rikers Correctional Facility and one inmate over 65 at an upstate facility in New York were granted access to the vaccine. So that's 500 it? compared, that's it. That's 500 compared to the 50,000 that are in the prison system. One inmate over 65? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Because they had like severe health conditions. So, but just one, just one. Only one. Just that one. Just oh, that gosh. One, right. Finally, as of March 29th, a judge ruled that New York State must offer COVID-19 vaccines to all incarcerated people. Judge Allison Y. Tuitt wrote in her ruling that excluding incarcerated persons in the rollout was, quote unquote, unfair and unjust and an abuse of discretion. She added that it irrationally distinguished between incarcerated people and people living in every other type of adult congregate facility at great risk to incarcerated people's lives during this pandemic there is no acceptable excuse for this deliberate exclusion end quote so yeah i'm glad that that has been flipped but it just it just reminded me that wow so all this time we're talking about who are the most vulnerable and who should get the vaccine first and shit like that when like high key people have decided that this entire population of people it doesn't matter whether or not they live or die when according to those who believe in the judicial system like it's already been decided okay this is your sentence right your yeah. sentence is to do this amount of time in prison your sentence is to do this amount of time in jail or you're waiting to be bailed out of jail or yeah. you're fucking waiting for trial or whatever the fuck like none of that should be a death sentence if you have not been sentenced to fucking death the goal should be to keep you alive in the same ways that we are 
are working, the same ways the government works to allegedly keep people on the outside alive. Supposedly, you're supposed to be reformed when you go there anyway. So that means the intention should be that you survive and leave. Oh, I don't know who's who said that. That's what they be saying. They be acting like that's, that's what, what they be saying. That's what the they movies. be saying. That's, 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 that's what they say on the brochure. That's what it say right, on, the, on the brochure. That that's what they do. We're going to play their little game and act like we know that's not the case. But if you're mm-hmm. saying that this is where they learn to not participate in black market economies or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. maybe they should like live. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they got to be alive at least, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. not, nah, they don't care about mm-hmm. that. On the flip side mm-hmm. of what you're talking about, what's going on in, in New York, which is a great thing, even though. It's not so great because of all of the negligence beforehand. But if we mm-hmm. take a little skip to Florida, they're still being negligent, still disregarding the prison population. So in Florida's incarcerated population was also excluded from the state's initial vaccination rollout. Florida's prisoners have also been battered by the coronavirus. Nearly one quarter of the state's 80,000 inmates have been infected. Mitt Stone, president of the Florida Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, said he feared the unvaccinated inmates exposed to the virus in crowded jails might infect jurors, court workers when criminal trials resume this spring. From a safety standpoint, you always want to identify the people who have it and who have more potential to spread it. That's from the Times. I bring that point up because it appears that people within the Florida prison system do want to vaccinate their prison population. And the governor is just not with it. They just want to prioritize Mm -hmm. unincarcerated folks who are elderly. That's all Mm -hmm. they're prioritizing. And Florida is like trying to watch every angle to like make it appease this governor. And they're to the point where they're saying, well, we should vaccinate them because when we start opening court again, they might spread it to like the judges and the lawyers Mm -hmm. and the the court officers. People we consider human. Yeah, they might spread it to Mm -hmm. the actual humans. So we should do something about those defecto humans because eventually they're going to intermingle with like, you know, society and the people that matter and the people that are valued. And it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know this person. I don't know anything about Florida politics. This person could actually believe this. It could probably not be an angle. (laughs) It could Mm -hmm. probably be Mm -hmm. the actual thing, but it's just pretty ridiculous that that is like the, the argument that is being dangled to make the governor prioritize incarcerated people. And by this week, this article was updated on March 31st. This week, it remained uncertain when inmates there will be getting shots. Florida prison officials say that they are prepared to inoculate every prisoner who wants the shots, but that they still lack approval from the state. The Florida Department of Corrections is ready to vaccinate as soon as supplies become available to our agency. That's Mark Inch, who oversees state prisons, said in a statement, we will ensure community level care is given to anyone under our care and custody who chooses to be vaccinated. So based on this, it appears as though they want to be decent people when it comes to the incarcerated population in Florida mm-hmm. the intentions seem from a good place from those who work within the prison system yeah from those who work within the prison mm-hmm. system the governor is just like this seems to be like nah so as of now there is no plan of vaccinating incarcerated folks in mm-hmm. Florida yeah but fucking sucks especially considering those those numbers mm-hmm. those are really high mm-hmm. numbers and they're only going to get higher yeah. yeah so that's fucking whack so stay on top of what's happening in your state with this because i really 
honestly, I had not even considered that motherfuckers in prison were not on the list for getting the vaccine in the same way that people on the outside are getting it. Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy. It's very easy for those of us on the outside and for those of us who don't have close loved ones on the inside. It's very easy for us to forget that it's a whole population of people that the system and government is set up for us to routinely like forget about, neglect, use for free labor, and not consider or care about their humanity so yes so yeah so see what's happening in your state stay on top of that yeah and if you have a governor if you are a voting ass motherfucker and you have a governor who is not with this you know not to elect that person next time around or whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. like pay attention to this stuff yeah especially if you're a voting ass person because that's a that's a big reason to not vote for somebody you know Mm -hmm. because the fuck all right so let's throw somebody in the pit with it is this asshole say what again say what again i dare you i double dare you motherfucker say what one more goddamn time the pit the pit is where we throw people places and things who are trying to shit on or take away our black ass black joy queen who are you throwing in the pit this week who or what i am throwing in the pit everyone who kind of contributes to the anxieties fears doubts unsureties, insecurities surrounding Mm -hmm. the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm specifically talking about my social media, particularly Facebook. I have to delete a lot of you motherfuckers because the shit Mm -hmm. over there. I understand having anxieties about it. I've had anxieties about the vaccine. I was unsure. I was trying to figure it out myself, but I did make a point to not express those anxieties on social media because that could influence other people's thoughts, ideas, feelings, and shit like that and i kind of wish everyone took that approach i do understand that everyone uses social media different i use it different from someone who just uses it for like everyday shit because i am in media so i use it Mm -hmm. a little different so maybe that's why i thought to be a little more responsible with my anxieties and shit like that but a lot of it is leading to like misinformation like flat out like where the fuck did you get this from what the fuck are you Mm -hmm. talking about so i saw about three people i'll say in the past month who said that the covid19 vaccine is not fda approved and it was like Mm. just a simple google was let you know that it was like emergency fda approved because it's a pandemic Mm -hmm. and they had to like kind of rush the systems because people are fucking dying it's a pandemic it is a pandemic none of the protocol that is the general protocol for anything has been going on because it's a fucking pandemic why would we wait for the regular procedures for fda approval during a pandemic there's an emergency fda approval process for a reason because shit fucking happens so like that Mm. irked me i did get in the back and forth with someone on facebook because i was like this is wrong and you should delete this like this is fucking wrong simple google here's the link delete this shit Mm -hmm. so that i also saw some things and i thought this had died down i really did but the vaccine i know our listeners don't think this but i just have to say this out loud the vaccine does Mm. not have a chip in it (laughs) Mm. that's gonna track you like Mm. i really feel like technology can do a lot of things so i'm not saying it's not impossible Mm -hmm. to create a chip that small that's not what i'm saying but we already have chips we have so many devices that we use we have our phones we have our fucking computers even at this point our tvs who the fuck knows there's so many things that we use in our everyday that they do they do not have to insert anything in our body to like fucking Mm -hmm. track us like duh but let's say let's say they did right (laughs) let's say let's say the vaccine for real had a chip in it (laughs) 
they already know where you're at, bro. Like, if you use a computer, if you use your phone, they already know where your you're at. Your computer asks you, can I use your location? Because it already knows where the fuck you at. It already knows where you are. <laughs> like, not getting the chip is not going to prevent that. Like, it's it's not. And then, no shade. No shade to people because I love my black people. But the chip is going to be in you and you don't go nowhere. So, like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. You go from the building to the corner to that park over there, back to the building. I'm talking about the two people I saw talk about this chip was like, but you don't do, but they're gonna like mm. bust into your mother house, right? And they already know where you at. Yeah, arrest you for playing video games that could probably mm-hmm. track because you're playing online. Like what the? <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like right. you know. So those those were like the silly ones. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I don't like people expressing, I understand why they're expressing black people's mistrust for the medical industry. But a lot of times they're expressing it as if it's like some boogeyman conspiracy, as if there's not like real fucking things that has happened to black people in this country Mm -hmm. in relation to the medical industry. They're just acting like it's, woo, like we just was like, "Mm -mm, I'd rather eat these fruits and berries because no, there's found reasons why we don't, like y'all stole Henrietta's cancer cells. Like you stole someone's cancer mm-hmm. cells. You know, there's a history as to why we do not trust this medical system. And people just like to skip that and just, just jump into like the little, I guess the, some of the silly things we might hear some of our family members say, or the, like all of that stuff is rooted in something is not from nowhere. And I kind of wish that we would add that nuance into the conversation rather than just jump into like, well, you know, you know, we don't go to the doctor. Like as if it's just all fucking our own decision that we make in a vacuum to not engage in this horrible medical system that doesn't give a fuck about black people. Like, let's be honest and for real about that. Who are you talking about? Who does this? Lots of people. But I do have one specific example, but I was going to get to that. So, like, okay, I remember, I think you were on a panel. <laughs> and mm-hmm. someone brought up the Tuskegee experiment as to why they weren't trusting Oh, yeah. This was the grapevine panel yeah, that yeah. we did about the, um, whether or not we were going to take the vaccine. Yes. Yes. And they brought up the Tuskegee yes. experiment, which... This was early. And this was early in the vaccine conversation, like before vaccines started rolling out. Yeah, yeah. This is before it even came out. And I do like that there were folks on the panel who were just like, I think you were and maybe you, Chechi, who was like, what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, so I've seen a lot of people relating those things. And it's like, those things don't relate. And it's like, if you want to talk about ill treatment of black people in a medical industry, our relation mm-hmm. to the healthcare industry here, know what you're talking about. Just at least know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Don't just say Tuskegee, because that's the one right. situation that you know that isn't yeah. even about injections. They weren't injecting anything into those men, but they were, they just allowed them to have syphilis and watch them suffer with it for years and years and years mm-hmm. is they didn't give the medical treatment it wasn't an injection so okay and a lot of people don't know the details of tuskegee but considering that it is something that like black folks were deceived by yes. like they were there under the impression that they were going to be receiving treatment for syphilis and did not receive treatment right mm-hmm. so that's just like yet another example of black folks being mistreated within the healthcare system right yeah since it is an example of that what why would you say that that's not a good representation of or a connection i guess to make when talking about a reason why not to take the vaccine i don't think it's a poor connection i think that when people bring it up it's just like a scramble i don't think it's a thoughtful analysis or even like a thoughtful idea i think it's just like a regurgitation 
interpretation of things. I don't think like it's actually like a contextualized. So I don't even think they're critiquing the medical industry. It's just like, nah, you know, like, so you know, I don't, I don't think it's a thought mm-hmm. out thing when people are talking or bring up the Tuskegee experiment. One, because there are so many more instances where our bodies have been used as like, no, because that's an experiment. I don't know. It just, it just is always empty when it's thrown out there. So mm-hmm. like, within that conversation that you had, when y'all kind of inserted like, hey, you know, you should be a little more responsible with throwing that out, that person retracted because mm-hmm. they didn't even have anything else to say because they was really just throwing it mm-hmm. out there. I think they were just expressing their anxieties, which is fine. But when mm-hmm. you're in a, on a platform that big, be a little more responsible about your anxieties. I thought of very weird things when it came to this vaccine. I thought of things that probably I would never say out loud because what the, f- like, come on, let's be for real. But mm-hmm. I kept a lot of that to myself or talked to my friends about it so I can get that out. But I I don't think it's safe, especially when it comes to people making medical decisions for themselves. I don't think that people should influence other people's medical decisions. Like these are like, mm-hmm. regardless of if you're telling people to take it or not, whatever their decision is, is going to affect their life. And I, I think yeah. it would make more sense to be more responsible with how you influence people life decisions like that's a life decision mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's just i don't know for me it just made me uncomfortable to just see people just like spitting stuff out there and it's just like you could really make someone not take this mm-hmm. vaccine <laughs> and you know like this like wow so it felt like fear-mongering kind yes of like. yes exactly mm-hmm. that exactly that and it's just like wow and it's stuff based on usually it's based on nothing i've yet to see like uh this is why i'm not taking a vaccine and like reasons that like made sense in terms mm-hmm. of like research done it just always just looks mm-hmm. like someone's regurgitating a meme that they saw and not actual right. information and i i would have hoped that we would have learned from the beginning of the pandemic when all of us had anxieties and were spinning it out and like sharing like hey mm-hmm. they said you should do this and hey i read somewhere that you should i don't i'm just make something up you should drink turmeric and i heard here like mm-hmm. we were throwing shit around a lot of that stuff was not actual things so i thought maybe mm-hmm. we would have learned to you know maybe sit quiet (laughs) figure shit out and not like fucking extrovert all those anxieties all those fears all of those Mm -hmm. uncertainties all of those even your resistance your resistance to me i think is fine if you don't want to take the vaccine that is your decision but to like Mm -hmm. exert that into the space Mm -hmm. especially in the black space where we are dying like they don't need a vaccine to kill us we are already dying at high numbers Mm -hmm. from this virus they don't they don't Mm -hmm. they don't need anything they we are dying at Mm -hmm. high numbers at everything we check all the boxes Mm -hmm. they don't need to do anything new to kill us yeah what they've been doing is working Right. You know, so that, you know, whatever. I think that it's tricky because like the fear is real. The fear is real. The reasons are real. I think that just because there are people who cannot articulate the fact, the very real fact that nobody gives a shit about black pain, that we go in, you know, sometimes we go to the doctor and like we're not listened to whether it be because we are black or because we are what what they perceive to be as overweight or whatever the fuck or whatever and like bad things happen to us because of the way that we're neglected even when we go into the doctor i think that just because somebody can't articulate that in the way that we understand it doesn't mean that it's not real you know what i'm saying like because those of us who can articulate know that that shit these are like real things that happen within the medical system that harm us that hurt us 
And so like the fear is valid. I agree with you about fear mongering. I think we should all be more responsible. But the issue for me is like the misinformation right yeah like there are things that are like not true right there are things people are saying that's like legit like not true what are you talking about like what what is this thing like this this thing right here this is actually like not a fact like this is no one has ever substantiated that this has ever happened so like the spreading of misinformation i definitely feel you i just want to insert that like because it is real that we have been mistreated within the medical system like i don't think that every person who expresses fear or concern has to have Mm -hmm. a fucking document or a have done research and have all of the fucking facts and dates as to like when that abuse happened Mm -hmm. and who it happened to and what happened to because we know that it is the facts say that it is an ongoing thing that happens to mad people like we've you and i have gone to the doctor and had like moments where we were being like dismissed or ignored or you Mm -hmm. know whatever like we know people whose health has been put in jeopardy because of their experience within the healthcare system so i think that it's okay for people to express concern and fear i think it's the it's the sharing of like false shit and like not information and to your point like there is already enough like real shit that's happened to where you can express fear and concern without saying that some shit happened that there's no evidence that that even fucking really happened yeah you know yeah for sure recently on snl there was a skit well daniel kalua was on did you did you see that episode yeah i watched the skit after you mentioned it. i didn't watch the episode i watched his opening monologue which was, i'm gonna watch it because he's so cute <laughs> daniel kaluuya is so fucking cute yo okay i'm gonna watch that whole shit fucking adorable fucking pinch your cheeks motherfucker so cute. <laughs> he is cheeky he's fucking hot he's cheeky i want to pinch his face and i want to kiss it on the mouth okay it's fucking cute <laughs> so cute so yeah i am gonna watch it i watched this opening monologue which was cute i've been watching like clips on social but yes i did watch this weird fucking skit yeah so there was a skit with daniel kaluuya who was playing like a game show host he was actually a doctor who was like trying to convince i'm not sure if they were family members or just other his family okay Mm -hmm. his family members to take the vaccine and the contestants were characters played by kenan thompson chris reed ego Nodem, and punky johnson so they're like his family members and he is trying to convince slash bribe them into getting a vaccine so it's like mm-hmm. for five thousand dollars would you take the vaccine and they're like "Ooh, five thousand dollars but nah i don't trust that like you know like mm-hmm. answers that were things that i've heard black people say for many different things not even just concerning the COVID 19 vaccine but you know like whatever my next question is Will you take the vaccine right now? Hmm. I don't know about that. Think about this, Uncle Derek. $5,000 is on the line. Damn. Five racks. It's a lot of bread. I could get me a little girlfriend. And you can have a barbecue. You can have a barbecue completely vaccinated. Nah, it ain't worth it. So that was the the running joke that they're not going to take the vaccine. It didn't matter how much money was offered. They were not going to take this vaccine. You cannot convince me to take this vaccine, which for me, it was just really cringy. Mm -hmm. And I think it had to do a lot with what I was talking about before, like removing the nuance of why black people are even distrustful to the medical system, why we have this relationship with the medical system. It was just poking fun Mm -hmm. of, just poking fun of the distrust, but not really getting to 
the meat of why we don't fuck with why we don't trust these systems in that way and stuff mm-hmm. like that so it was just like the butt mm-hmm. of a joke like kind of like a punch down also it seems to like okay whatever results whatever happened to us as far as the pandemic is our fault it's our onus mm-hmm. because of the poor decision making right. that we have yeah just like oh they just make poor decisions like for no reason mm-hmm. just out of the blue mm-hmm. they just don't trust this shit and they're not going to get vaccinated so if they happen to contract covid and die that was on them because we had a vaccine mm-hmm. for them and they didn't want to take it like to me it fed that narrative so that made me uncomfortable and it was cringy yeah it was highlighting that we are the most affected by the virus that we a lot of us have pre-existing conditions and it was no there was no reflection on like why that is yeah there was no reflection on like that for many of us our health is the way it is because of, of the way that we are treated or neglected within the healthcare system. There was no acknowledgement that many of us were affected by COVID in the way that we are because of systemic oppression, because of access to healthcare, because of living conditions and shit like that. Like there is like no acknowledgement of the why yeah. in this particular mm-hmm. skit. And it's just like, oh, well, these people, black people don't trust it. And it's their fault if they succumb to To, COVID-19. It's Mm -hmm. their fault if they succumb to COVID-19 and it's their fault that they have these pre-existing conditions or whatever. Mm -hmm. It just like... It was one of those things that felt like I get it because I have been on the other end of a phone call with somebody who has mad... Like, I'm talking to you because you are in the hospital because you have COVID and pre-existing conditions, right? You are surviving and we're thankful for that. But I'm talking to you right now. You are in a hospital bed and nobody brought up the, this is before the vaccine. Nobody yes. brought up the vaccine. And this is, this person was like, I tell you what though, <laughs> I'm not taking that vaccine. I'm like, yo, this is, this is tragic comedy right here. Okay. Because out of every nigga that I know, you are the one who needs to take the vaccine yeah. in my opinion. Right. Yes. But you have the context though. You have the context. Right. I have all the context yes. of this. Right. Mm-hmm. There's an element of that, right? That's humorous. And so I see these these black folks on in this skit and I understand the humor in hearing somebody who you think needs the vaccine talk about how they're not going to get yeah. it because of this distrust of, you know, the system and the healthcare system and shit like that. But again, the nuance, I also know what that person has been yep. through. I know, you know, their experiences with the healthcare system, their experiences with white supremacy of which those systems are tied together. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it just felt like in this skit on this show that mostly white people watch. Watch, And while we like, for the most part here on this show, we don't care about white gays or try not to concern ourselves with what white people think. Right. Mm -hmm. In this situation, it seemed to be affirming the deadly notion. Like white people believe in that black folks are disposable. Like this is the shit that like kills us within the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. This kills us. Or thinking, oh, well, you're black anyway. And so you're susceptible to have these particular health conditions and that's just what it is yeah. or you are considered fat and so this is just what it is this is just what's, what ha- what's supposed to happen to you we're not going to explore any further or whatever like that kind of thinking that kind of shit is deadly and i felt like this skit while it was speaking to me personally in conversations that i've had with certain black folks in my family mm-hmm. it did not 
it didn't share the nuance which i also have yeah um of -hmm. the fact that like there's a very real concern is very real and valid reasons why a lot of black folks are skeptical of the vaccine and that that to me was like a little bit disappointing like i like when we are talking to each other i like when i watch the occasional snl skit and it's like oh shit that joke was specifically for black Black people people. and it went over everybody else's head it gets tricky for me when it's like okay that joke was for black people but because white people misunderstand it it's going to reinforce their their shitty ideas about about whether i deserve to live or die Mm -hmm. because of our relationship with the healthcare system so that is what made it more tricky like i'm not i'm not worried about oh this joke makes us look i don't know like we like chicken i like chicken i don't know It, it gets it gets tricky to me where it's like this joke makes it okay to devalue my life the value of my life and blames me for my death right that's what made this skit for me like awkward daniel kaluuya did look fucking adorable and kissable <laughs> per usual but it was an awkward ass skit you know what was interested when people were talking about the skit some people mm-hmm. a lot of people weren't mm-hmm. but people were pointing out daniel my guess because they like he just played fred hampton how dare he and i'm like there's like black americans in this <laughs> Yes. And this get yes. who probably are black who Americans here, on this stage. Who are a yes. part of SNL who work here. Like there are black people on the writing team. Like So he was you know supposed to be the one to be like who don't even work there, who's there as a guest. He was supposed to be the one not to be in like the US, yes. Not on my way, but like Mm-hmm. like I th- aren't they all responsible for this like I just didn't understand we've been telling black British actors in the US to shut the fuck up and go home <laughs> right <laughs> pack your things take your shit and get back on the boat where you came from we've been telling them that all this time he supposed to show up at SNL and somebody proposed a skit a black person proposed a skit and he'd be like you know don't you think that's a little bit offensive <laughs> to your own (laughs) black american people come on son like come on on. like so that was that was something that was that was weird yeah i think the the weight of that is on all of them everybody who participated in in that was yeah well except to the end that the white woman but right right everyone there everyone participating Mm -hmm. everyone suing the jokes talking like they were all black people so it was just like interesting Mm -hmm. that it was like we're going to point out Daniel, like, yes, enough over yes, I win. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, mm-hmm. what? That was weird. Right. But I do want to add really quickly that it also was cringy because we know that as far as how vaccinations are being distributed, we talked about how there's whole populations of incarcerated people who, who are not even thought about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. we're not even equitably giving out this vaccine to mm-hmm. begin with, to even make right. this like a, a joke that could just apply you know, like we're not, that's not even what this government is even doing. Mm-hmm. So that that's another thing that made it cringy for me. Cause it's like, y'all motherfuckers gotta make appointments two months out and shit. And I know yeah, of people. I couldn't make one. I'm still trying. I know of people who, my cousin, she lives in the South section of the Bronx. And when the vaccine first hit the streets, she's by Stevenson High School, which is, that's a neighborhood, black neighborhood, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she just notices oh, mad people online or cars pulling up are like white people. And it's like, how come mm-hmm. the people in this neighborhood and this neighborhood didn't even know that this is what you could people who fucking live here didn't Mm -hmm. even know that they could come here to get a vaccine or whatever there's elderly Mm -hmm. people here i think at that point it was just elderly people and first responders but those people live in that neighborhood how come they did not know you know so Mm -hmm. like the access isn't even evenly equitably distributed for black people to just be like you know (laughs) 
can't even yeah. really get it. So like, you know, just all just all really annoying and frustrating. And leave Daniel alone. Like I was really just thinking about how cute he is, okay? <laughs> I could probably I see it in your about, eyes. That's why I was like, hey, I know. Daniel. I was thinking about that little. He's so fucking cute. I was thinking about his interview with Robin on Good Morning. Oh America. yeah, that was yeah, a really was cute so interview. Fucking cute. That was a cute interview. Yeah, so fucking cute, man. Come on. Yeah, it was not. That was not a good sketch. I when I started with because I had started it before you mentioned it. I had started watching it because I'm like, oh, it's the cute one. Let me watch this thing because he's the cute one. And I was like, oh wow, this is making me feel bad. <laughs> I don't like. This is not funny to me. This is not fun. It was funny when I told my friends what like this person in my family had said about the vaccine. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was funny for us to laugh at because yes. we have also had horrible experiences within the healthcare system. Yes. Like I remember when I had fibroid surgery, um, which I I may have to have again or whatever. But when mm-hmm. I had fibroid surgery, this is you know years ago, so we weren't in COVID. So. I had my sister with me and so I had someone to advocate for me. I had someone to say and that was that was after I had been because there was a period right after surgery where I kept saying my back is the way they had me sitting. I was mm-hmm. like it, in unbearable pain and it was just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. Like you just you, you just you, have surgery. I'll, okay, I'll so be with you in a second. In yeah. Finally, after I had, I felt like I had been begging for hours, you know, she was like, well, do you want a pillow? I'm like, yeah. Like, thank you for fucking considering mm-hmm. that I've been saying the same shit for a fucking hour. Yeah. A pillow. Actually, that would help my back. You fucking bitch. That would have helped me an hour ago mm-hmm. when I was complaining and you were like waving me off like it was no big deal. I just mm-hmm. had fucking they cut my body open. For yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a pillow under my back. That would be cute. The fuck? So anyway, that was when I was by myself. And then later on, my sister, like when I was able to have people around, my sister was there and was able to advocate for me. Because again, I'm asking, I'm saying, hey, this is uncomfortable or this is happening or whatever. And it's like nobody gives a shit mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like if if you don't have somebody and, and i have been listening because i'll tap in sometimes if i see other people having conversations about fibroids or whatever yeah and i've listened to people talk about their experience having surgery like during covid when there's no it's just you and your black ass self yeah and there's nobody to say hey can you make sure that my black loved one has this particular thing. Can you make sure that you don't kill them by fucking doing this negligent thing that I'm watching you fucking do or whatever. But anyway, like we have the lived experience to know these things and white folks watching shit like this. It just felt like it reinforced the idea that whatever happens to black people, it's our own fault. Like that we're not living in an oppressive system. It's based on decisions that we, we make in a vacuum and that's just how they are. And yeah, right sure right 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 yeah so fuck that sketch fuck that was it. whack was. yeah daniel was still cute though so cute so fucking cute <laughs> how does that happen <laughs> i don't know two ugandan people make a child right <laughs> and so fucking cute man so fucking cute he can stay anyway all right we did a motherfucking show. We did. We did a motherfucking show. Be sure to follow us on all the social medias. We're on Twitter and Instagram at T with QJ. We are on Facebook and Tumblr, T with Queen and J. You can send us your T mail at T with Queen and J at gmail.com and be sure to check out our website, T with Queen and J dot com. 
where can we find you on social? At the Queen Speaks with an underscore that is on Instagram and Twitter. And you, did you say you? Nope. You can find me at Jenny Cia F. That's J A N I C I A F for freedom. I guess. Yes. To freedom. Yeah, that's a thing. I appreciate that one. All right. This podcast was created, hosted, and produced by a black girl named Janicia and a black girl named Naima with editorial support from a black girl named Candace. Tea with Queen and Jay. We turn up responsibly. And... Always trust everyone to be themselves, but trust in the fact that you can see them well. I mean, so it's like, you know, trust, trust, trust. It takes too much energy to not trust someone. I mean, it takes too much energy. You only got to say two steps ahead of them or whatever. But trust them to be them. Right. To be themselves. Trust a the snake to right. bite you. Right. Trust a lie to lie. Trust right. a thief to steal from you. Like, trust them to be them. Too. But right. know them when you see them.